Well, good morning, church. It's so good to see you this morning. As uh, Pastor Brad mentioned just a second ago, my name is Dustin Scott. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, uh, one of the pastors here at the church, and uh, just super thankful uh, for you guys joining us this morning, uh, whether here in the room or online, we are grateful for you uh, this morning. Last Sunday, Pastor Jim, uh, who is away this weekend at the uh, Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting in Nashville, he introduced us to our new summer series that's entitled, What's the Point? That is, walking us through the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. This week, uh, we are going to continue our verse-by-verse walkthrough of this book by looking at the first 11 verses of Ecclesiastes 1 as we look at the idea of living above the sun. Now, as we get started, I'm going to uh, reiterate and kind of dig into some of the truths that Pastor Jim shared with us last week. But before we do that, let's just go ahead and read our text in its totality, uh, starting in verse 3. So you can uh, just follow along on the screen, or if you have it in front of you, that will be great. Ecclesiastes 1, verses 3 through 11. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and round goes the wind, and on its circuit the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they, there they will flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Well then, nothing like a little encouraging word to start off your Sunday morning, right? I mean, at first, this sounds like it came from the great theologian Eeyore, right? Very pessimistic, gloomy, down in the dumps. You ever, you ever met someone like that? You know, that, that person where the glass is always half empty, or better yet, the, the glass is completely empty because there isn't even water to pour in halfway, right? You ever, had to, you ever tried to have a conversation with those types of people? Isn't it exhausting? This, this past Sunday, uh, we had the honor of attending uh, our uh, church at our home church back in Alabama with April's entire family. And April's dad uh, pastored that church for 23 years, all throughout our childhood, our teenage, our college years. Uh, this, this was the, the first time that our entire family had been together in that church since my ordination service back in uh, 2007. It's just super, super sweet time seeing uh, and just visiting with people who have just poured and poured and poured into uh, us and invested heavily into our lives. But as we were getting ready to leave, a lady walked up to me and, and she says this, and, and I quote, she says, well, Dustin, 
It's so good to see you. She said, I think of you often. Now, I don't pray for you, but I think about you often. She said, I'm, I'm just being honest. I'm just really busy. And I was like, I, same, I don't pray for you either. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But, but you know what I mean? Like these, these types of people, it's like, I don't really know what to do with that. You know, I think about you, but I don't pray for you. Okay, cool. As Pastor Jim mentioned last week, Ecclesiastes is, is sometimes not the easiest book to read. It doesn't initially leave you with all the warm fuzzies, but, but that doesn't mean that there isn't some great truth to apply to our lives in here. And so let's dive in together this morning and see what we can learn together. Okay, now as a reminder, all signs point to Solomon being the author of this book. And one of the many things uh, that Solomon is known for in Scripture is his great wisdom that is given to him by God in 1 Kings chapter 3. Now, through Solomon's wisdom, this morning we are going to look at three different perspectives that Solomon demonstrated as he penned this text this, uh, from Ecclesiastes 1. And to help illustrate these for us, I have three jars up here with me today. And these three jars represent these three different perspectives that we all will face at some point in our lives, okay? So the first one we're gonna really talk through is this guy right here, past perspective. Our past perspectives. King Solomon was the son of King David, one of the great pillars of faith in the Old Testament. And you will recall that Solomon was born to David through Bathsheba, found in 2 Samuel 12. Solomon took the throne after his father David had passed away. He began his reign as a humble servant of the Lord, seeking God's wisdom and help. But as he grew older, we see his heart turning away from God and turning towards false gods, really turning to the false gods of the many wives that he had taken from foreign lands. He did this in an attempt to form alliances with nations surrounding Israel. But the problem with what he was doing is that it was in direct rebellion to God's guidelines for kings that's laid out in Deuteronomy 17. You see, going against God's word is disobedience and will always result in consequences, always. The consequence for Solomon's disobedience was that God removed his hand of blessing and he maintained Solomon's throne only because of the promise to David. A matter of fact, after Solomon's eventual death, the nation of Israel actually divided into two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. You see, sin never affects just us. This is evident in Solomon's life. And if I had to guess, you've experienced this reality in your life as well. But you know who else experienced this? Solomon's father, David. Have you ever noticed how parts of David and Solomon's story are, are eerily similar? Both Solomon and, and David achieved great things as kings of Israel, but neither of them came to their full potential because of sin. Ultimately, 
both of them lost track because of, of women. David just one, Solomon many, but they both sinned greatly. Generational sin. The sins that seemingly get passed down from generation to generation. And you, got, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Oftentimes we disguise them though under the umbrella of, well, that's, that's just who I am. Or that's just how I am. That's just how I operate. Or my dad was the same way. Or my mom struggled with this as well. And then you have children. And you start to see these same traits show up in their lives. You know, April and I, we bought the boys, um, really all of us, this uh, above ground swimming pool for the summer. And you guys have seen it. It's got the little frame around it. It's got the poles. And one of the key things to putting up a above ground pool is that the ground needs to be perfectly level. Well, I'm probably the pansiest dude you've ever met. I don't even know how to do that. So I'm just like, it looks straight. So we put it up and we notice that there's one point that's a little bit lower. So we're putting the water in and we're like, well, it's a little lower. I think it'll be fine, right? So we go ahead and fill it up. It's about two weeks goes by and I'm cutting grass and I, look, I just happened to glance over at the pool and I noticed that that one spot that was a little low was now real low. And it was, it's starting to cave in. And it's because the weight of the water and the ground is settling and those poles are just digging holes in the ground. And can I just be honest with you guys this morning? I lost my mind. <laughs> like I just, I mean, you're, you're probably gonna never want me up here again, but I mean, I'm just confessing my sin to you. I just went nuts, right? I went inside. I, the pool leg is broken. We gotta let all the water out. This thing's a waste of money. What are we, you know, I mean, just, I'm sure I'm the only person that's ever lost their mind over stuff like this, but learn from me, okay? And so my sweet wife, who, you know, knows that I'm crazy, she just calms me down. And so she says, I'll just go, just finish cutting grass. And I'll think about it. So she pulls up YouTube and she figures out, you guys, this would be, you'd be so proud of us. This was the most redneck thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> and I'm from Alabama. That says a lot, okay? So we get a car jack and we, t not even joking, we take two two by fours and we wedge up under the rim of the swimming pool and just start jacking up the side of the pool. And it worked. I mean, this, this is crazy. So we put boards under there and it's, and it's worked flawlessly, right? Here's the problem with that. You know what I've started to notice in my own sons? When frustrating things hit them, you know how they're responding? Flying off the handle, overreacting. Suddenly, that's just how I am is affecting their lives in the negative. Friends, our sins are, that, that is nothing to play around with. They literally could be impacting future generations and Solomon saw this play out firsthand. So why do I bring this to light this morning? Because it's important for us to realize that Solomon did not stay trapped in that bondage. Solomon wrote these words that we just read, that we're studying this morning, these words in Ecclesiastes towards the end of his life. Now, let me be real clear. We don't know, the Bible never says if Solomon actually ever repented of his sin. We do not know that. It does not specifically say that. But the words of wisdom that he imparts to us as the readers of his word, 
at the end of his life suggests that possibly repentance happened. You see, Solomon had it all and lost it all. And he could have wrapped the chains of guilt and bondage all around himself, locking him into the past failures. However, he didn't stay locked in his past. He learned from his past. And as a result, we have an entire book in the Bible as a warning to not walk down the path that he took. He has been there. He has done that. He has gotten the t-shirts and the word that he is screaming to us is go the other way. And for many of you in here this morning, you are stuck in the past as well. You haven't or you won't forgive someone who has hurt you. Or you haven't or you won't forgive yourself for decisions that you're ashamed that you made. Your sin is hurting your family. And as a result, you are seeing those sins show up in the lives of your children. Listen to me, you do not have to stay in this spot. You do not have to stay with this perspective of being stuck in the past. There is victory and his name is Jesus. And there's a, there's a great portion of scripture in, in Luke chapter four. Right after Jesus comes out of the wilderness, he's been, he has been tempted by Satan and Jesus returns to his hometown of Nazareth and he heads to the synagogue to read the scriptures. And listen to what Jesus says in Luke four in verses 17 through 21. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, being Jesus, he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the tenant and he sat down and all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began saying to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In church, there's people in this room right now, there's people watching me right now online who need to hear those same words. Those words of today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing and you are free. You see, it's time to take off those chains. It's time to break this generational sin. It's time to move on from your past and live in the victory that is Jesus Christ. And Solomon warns us to stay focused, to not stay focused on a past perspective. And in doing so, he gives us Ecclesiastes, which in turn gives us some warnings about getting focused on a present perspective. You see, just as there is a great danger of living too much in the past, there is also a danger in living too much in the present. You see, Solomon begins showing us this danger by opening the letter with the words vanity of vanities. All is vanity. We talked about that last week. It's found in verse 2. Interestingly, as Pastor Jim mentioned last week, this word van vanity, also translated hevel, H-E-V-E-L, is used 38 times throughout the 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes. 
Hevel literally means vapor or smoke. Sometimes it gets translated meaningless or emptiness. Scholars say it means a little bit of all of those, but not fully captured by any of them. Probably the, the best way to grasp the meaning is to consider the word picture itself, hevel. It's smoke, vapor, kind of like a cloud. You know, like when you were a kid and you, you saw these clouds in the sky and they would make all these shapes and they look kind of, like, kind of like big, comfortable pillows, right? But then you take your first airline flight and as you are going through the clouds, you really see that there's nothing to them, right? Even the fullest looking clouds, they are full of nothing. They Hevel, H-E-V-E-L. That's what life is like, Solomon says. It looks one way on the outside, but when you press into it, you find out it is full of nothing. It is empty. And so these verses that we're looking at this morning, verses 3 through 11, Solomon, Solomon takes us on a journey in really kind of a poetic format that points out that if this life is all there is, if this is all there is, then there is no profit to your life. These verses point to these repetitive cycles in nature to prove the point that nothing is gained from all of our activities. Solomon begins in verse four by pointing to the cycle of generations while the earth stays the same. This is, this is all of our realities. Humanity dies and a new generation comes, but the earth stays the same. Then we move on, verses five through eight. Verses five through eight there, we get three examples from nature and three examples where human experience mirrors these natural cycles. First, the sun rises and the sun sets. Then the next day, the same thing happens. Next, the wind gusts to the south and then to the north. Just a quick observation here. Isn't it neat that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west and Solomon is addressing the wind blowing from the north and from the south. These verses portray a contrast that, that gives us a picture of the totality of the world. But finally, these verses address the cycle of the ocean. All of the streams of the earth run into the sea, but the water level stays the same. The task is never done. It just repeats itself again and again. It's the same old, same old. And listen, we all, we all feel this frustration from time to time, don't we? You ever feel this way when you walk into the kitchen and you see a sink full of dishes? You roll your sleeves up and either wash them or put them in the dishwasher only to get up in the morning and guess what's waiting on you? More dishes or laundry, what in the world? Does, does laundry just birth itself overnight? Are, are April and I the only people who actually take pictures of the empty clothes hamper when we reach the bottom? Like there is a bottom to this thing, right? These are, the, these, these are our facts. These are the facts of life. There's more bills, there's more emails, there's more haircuts for some of us. There's more grass to mow. It never ends. So therefore, Solomon concludes in verse eight 
that our existence is full of weariness. He gives three behaviors to parallel the sun and the wind and the sea. He contends that we cannot say enough, we cannot see enough, or we cannot hear enough. As those great prophets known as the Rolling Stones once say, no matter how much we try, we can't get no satisfaction because we always want more. We always want more. We keep waiting for a change in circumstances that will make us happy. And honestly, if we aren't careful, we live our entire lives trapped in that. You're frustrated under the lack of freedom in your parents' house as a child and you think to yourself, I cannot wait until I get my license and I can go to college because then I will be free and happy. Then you get to college and you think, I cannot wait until I get out of this boring studying and start doing a job that I really love. Then you graduate and you take the job and you say to yourself, if I could only find someone to love and get married, then I would be happy. And then you find someone, you fall in love and you get married and you think, man, if, if we could just have a family, then life would be complete. So then you have kids and you think, if, if I could just get promoted so I could make more money to provide more for my family, then, and the cycle never ends. You keep thinking, if I can just get there, everything will be different. But when you get there, nothing is different. And Solomon makes this point very clear in verses 9 through 11. There is nothing new under the sun. Nothing ever changes. Just as some people get stuck in the past, if we aren't careful, we can allow the busyness of our daily lives to enslave us to the present. So, whereas at first glance this text seems a little pessimistic, really it is helping us talk about the pursuits of our lives, the things that captivate our attention and become the center of our endeavors, those dreams in which we invest so much time and that we work so hard to accomplish. And as Solomon reflected on his own life and evaluated his own efforts, he was left asking, what profit is any of it? which is really kind of reflective of what Jesus asked in Mark 8, isn't it? When he says, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? You see, the stuff we accumulate will not matter. However, what we do for Jesus will which then brings us to the final and most important perspective that we're gonna talk through this morning. And that's this perspective of an eternal perspective, an eternal perspective. You see, yes, the sun goes up and goes down and you do all you can in between, but Solomon reminds us that if we want our lives to amount to more than just a vapor, more than hevel, then we need to live life on purpose with an eternal perspective. That's why it's really important when we're reading through this text to not overlook the last few words that we see in verse nine that says there is nothing new under the sun. 
under the sun in this context is referring to the things of the world, the things that is in our present and the past, the under the sun. Our call as followers of Christ is to live above the sun with a heavenly or an eternal gaze. Balance then becomes critical, especially when our time on earth is spent working for a living, pursuing success and attempting to live for eternity in process. There's got to be a balance there. Unfortunately, for many of us, our tendency is to get caught up in the daily grind, to work hard, to acquire more stuff, fit some time in for church once or twice a week. And listen, while there is nothing inherently wrong with having a great career and a fat financial portfolio, we are inclined to lose focus on our eternal perspective in our pursuit of those things that, which, which are just temporary. You see, perspective helps us understand that if we truly want to make an eternal difference, then we need to have a forever focus. And this is one of the main points of Ecclesiastes. So that we would be reminded and understand the gravity of life and be encouraged, even persuaded to live life on purpose as a result. Look back with me at verses nine through 11. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. You see, knowing the truth of these verses should not minimize the importance of each life. It should cause us to take stock of the platforms that God has given us and to also give us a fresh desire to live our lives with eternity in view. A few weeks ago, I was talking with a buddy of mine and he was sharing some stats with me about the city that he lived in uh, and the urgent need for some churches and church plants in his area to just engage those people who need Jesus. And I thought it was interesting. I just want to share these stats with you. Listen to this. In his particular county, there are 320,000 residents. 150,000 of those residents are completely unchurched. 41,600 are in what he referred to as non-gospel faiths. These would be churches that do not hold to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as a non-negotiable to their faith. So those two numbers combined take you to right at 192,000 of the 320,000 residents who are on their way to hell. Let me translate that for you. 60%. 60% of the population in his city. If that isn't scary enough, there are another 31%, which equated about 39,000 people who attend church but never practice their faith. They never talk about Jesus with coworkers. It's more of a check, check the box type of deal, right? 
In our text, in our context this morning, these will be a lot of the people who are either sitting in the past or the present or kind of living under the sun, so to speak. My friend said these words. He said, simple addition tells me that out of the 320,000 residents in my area of the country, 231,600 or 91% are either lost or not living out their faith. 91%. And the story, it broke my heart. It's very eye-opening. You know, the heartbreaking part of the story to me is it's the same all over our country. It's not just secluded to this guy's area. The, the need is so great. But if we are too focused on the past or the present, we will not develop a perspective for the eternal. Which means these numbers I just shared with you will remain just that, numbers. You won't see them as people. You won't look into their eyes and have a burden for them. So whereas that's a very heartbreaking part of the story, the really eye-opening part of the story is those numbers are from Escambia County, Florida. There are 320,000 people living in this county. And out of those 320,000 residents in this county, 231,600, 91% are either lost or not living out their faith. Those numbers are the people you're sitting next to at work. Those who are passing you in the hallways of your school. Those pouring into our area as college students. Those who are serving you coffee at Coffee Guy. Those who live next door to you. You see, when we talk about who's your one, it's not some cute slogan. If we are truly followers of Jesus, this has to wreck our hearts and we have to do something. We have to share. Which leads me to the question that we have to ask ourselves if we're going to evaluate how we're doing. We ask this question to our middle schoolers, our high schoolers, our college students pretty frequently. And the question is this, who is here today that wasn't here six months ago because of you and the investment you've made in their lives. Who is sitting in this room this morning who was not sitting in this room six months ago because of the investment you made into their lives? Who knows Jesus today because you told them about him? You see, God has not given us an airtight philosophy of wisdom or an ironclad guarantee of success. He has given us an airtight person to walk with in, in whom we can hide during the ups and downs of life. Jesus, who is the guarantor of our inheritance, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, Ecclesiastes in its, really, in its own strange way points you forward to Jesus. And the call of Ecclesiastes is to give up control of your life to one who you might not be able to fully understand, but you can fully trust. A God bigger than the hevel, 
A God who went through hevel so you could know security and happiness through him. A God who calls us to live above the sun. You see, April and April and her mom, they, they were making some exercise shirts this past week and she showed me them, well, showed them to me whenever she was unpacking when we got home and one of them had these words across the front. It said, make heaven crowded. Make heaven crowded. In church, that's our call. Amen. 